he drowns and Danny's son like tries to save him and th- that's the end of the series is him driving the boat back with dead John in the back of it and now the, it's the same thing happening again you know that would be kind of cheesy I guess I but... would say that might be a little ham-fisted as far as like <laughs> it it strikes again <laughs> Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well sail on a boat fit for a bond villain sometimes you need to play the part right first of all dude you don't have an accent secondly this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers you can't board it it gets upset its hair falls out walter fucking dog has fucking papers over the line huh i'm sorry smokey you were over the line that's a foul what happened did your your balls drop off Hey guys, welcome into another bonus episode of Film Tank. On this episode, we'll uh, change gears a little bit, as uh, we're not going to talk about a movie, although uh, I guess you would call this sort of film on television. Uh, that would be one way to describe uh, the uh, Netflix original series Bloodline, which debuted on March the 20th, and a lot of people have already seen all of the episodes, and uh, myself and Nick Cheney have seen all of the episodes. He is also here with us today. Hello. Hi. That was a very simple introduction, and you did a great job with it. Thank so, you so much. I worked on that one for a week. I was going to say, you are so prepared for that one. You've just been waiting your whole life to say that one word, and you did a great job. Thank you. <laughs> Young man goes out looking for the diamond. Children are together in one place. You think I should let him come home? My opinion is it makes mom happier when he's around. Oh, yeah, it makes mom happier until he fucks up again. What's going on, Pop? Well, I want you to go. I want you to leave and not come back. Never worked out with you being here, has it? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah, you do. Too many memories. Bad things follow you around, don't they? I want to stay. I got to do what's right for everybody, Dad. For the family, you tell me your price and I'll wire it to you. I will. I'll wire it to you. 
never see my face again. Old man didn't leave you anything? Nah, he cut me out of his will. Of course he fucking did. He offered me a chunk of change to leave, though. Uh, why'd you take it? He fucking died. Look at you. Oh, yeah. Hold on. You look very handsome. Yeah, I may never take this thing off. How long has your family run that place? Near 50 years. Almost half a goddamn century. John's looking for you. Let's talk to you. What about you? And then you want to say to me? No. Wow. Usually you can't keep your fucking mouth shut. You're not the people that I thought we were. The bullshit paycheck you were giving me wasn't going to cut it, so I started doing drugs. This is crazy. Mom doesn't need to hear all this. No, Meg. Quiet! Uh, normally I'd say I'm sorry, but I'm not, because you're all liars. Oh, I always has. Would you just please stop it? And you are the worst. They went out on the boat, but he said if you called, not to worry, because Janie's with an adult. Let me fucking clear up some fucking things for you. Let me give you the fucking hard truth. We didn't lie for them. We fucking lied for you. You know why we lied for you? We lied for you because if they didn't shut it down, the cops they would have kept fucking pushing and pushing until they started investigating Sarah's fucking death. What do you think? But that asshole. When'd you get in, Danny? When'd you get a fucking in? So anyways, Bloodline, um, I hope you've seen it, and if you have not seen it, I would uh, suggest not listening to this episode as we're going to go in-depth and uh, obviously be giving spoilers for the series. So we're going to talk about uh, what events transpired through the uh, 13-episode season. The uh, show is about a family of adult siblings who uh, find find that their past secrets uh, have been revealed when a black sheep, when the the black sheep of the family, uh, their brother Danny, returns home after a long absence. The show stars Kyle Chandler as John Rayburn. He's, I guess, you would call the main character of the show. Uh, His brother is played by um, Ben Mendelsohn, who plays Danny Rayburn. Uh, Also, his other two siblings are Meg Rayburn and Kevin Rayburn, who are played by Linda Carnalini and Norbert Leo Butz. Never heard of that guy before the show. No, that's quite the name, too. It is. It's it's an interesting name, and he's an interesting character on the show, although I think he's probably the... uh, least deep character out of the uh, four siblings. Yeah. Their parents are also main players in the show. Sally Rayburn is played by Sissy Spacek, and the father, Robert Rayburn, is played by Sam Shepard. There are other characters that come and go throughout the show, including John's two children, uh, also John's partner, and uh, at the same time, Meg's love interest on the show. Uh, His name is uh, Marco on the show. He's played by Enrico Merciano. Mur- Mur- that sounds right. Enrico Merciano. Also, John's wife is played by Jacinda Barrett, who's uh, in one of my biggest guilty pleasures ever, um, the movie Poseidon, the remake of Poseidon. Oh. And uh, that's pretty much it in terms of characters. Uh, also, uh, a name that people might rem- remember is uh, Chloe Seveny. Seveny, who plays Chelsea O'Bannon, uh, the brother of Eric O'Bannon, who's played by Jamie McShane, who had no relation to Ian McShane. I was really excited to find out if he was, and he's not. I know, so. that's a real McShane. Well done, sir. Oh, man. That was Totally great. redeem you from your intro. Anytime. <laughs> so anyways, those are the players on the show, and I gave you the uh, tagline about it. Um, basically, this show is about... 
this family that operates a uh, resort for the most part in the Florida Keys. It's called the Rayburn House or the Rayburn Resort or whatever. And uh, this family is all about uh, operating this resort and kind of keeping things in-house, if you would, uh, both literally yes. and figuratively. Yes. Uh, and the uh, father uh, and the rest of the family have secrets. The biggest secret uh, that you find out throughout this series is that there was a fifth sibling. And uh, I'm forgetting her name right now. You Sarah. Sarah, yes. And you find out that uh, basically um, Danny, played play by Ben Mendelsohn, uh, was the one who was not responsible necessarily, but is involved with her death. It was a tragic circumstances that yeah. they all have kind of differing uh, perceptions on what uh, actually transpired that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting about this show, and probably the one thing that will be mentioned by most people or remembered by most people about the show, is that uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character, Danny, is shown that his, his death will be happening at some point during the season in episode one. Yep. So throughout the entire season, you know he will die at some point, which actually does not happen until episode 12. Yep. So it was a very uh, interesting decision by uh, Netflix and by the series writers to uh, have him die and show it in the uh, first episode. I guess that's a good place to start, since that's the really the first thing you know about this show is that Danny is going to die at some point during the season. Do you think that, that was a good idea by them, and do you think that ultimately made the season better than it could have been? I do, actually. And what's funny is that I was a little worried about it when I first saw it in episode one, because this show was created by the two people uh, who created the show Damages. Okay. And that show literally started out, I want to say with a death, but you uh, you literally see Rose Byrne's character like graduate from law school, and then all of a sudden there's a flash forward where she's six months later somehow leaving a hotel with a bloody knife. Like, you know, like it, it does that whole how are we going to get from point A to point B kind of gimmick. And I think that show kind of dug itself into some holes that it couldn't get out of using that gimmick because it was a much more plot-heavy show. But what really surprised me and what really worked about uh, using it this time around was that this was truly a character show. I mean, when you get these kind of actors together um, to just, you know, to portray these kind of characters, like, that's the only reason why this still works because the tension of seeing Danny um, dying and possibly at the hands of his own family because we technically don't even know if that's how it's going to happen um when you just see that uh we know that they're somehow involved with the cover-up but you don't get to actually see how he dies until the 12th episode yeah there are red herrings that are given also whether it be showing the actual final scene of like his not of his life but you see him being put onto a boat by john in the boat yep blowing up which uh, goes back to another storyline throughout the series or throughout the season pardon me and also you see uh, kevin giving john a gun at one point which is also i feel like a brilliant red herring by the show because then you would think oh man i guess he must shoot him and that uh, does not end up being the case no and but what's great is those still those moments that they kind of uh, kind of flash forward to whether it be the ones you just described or even my personal kind of favorite tease um, which is John and Kevin talking when he's in the rain mm-hmm. and he's on the phone and he said fine I will take care of it and we have no idea and of course we assume he simply just means he'll kill Danny mm-hmm. um, of course once we get more context for it we realize it's kind of a mixture of things that it, it did mean that but it also didn't that wasn't the conclusion he was going to jump to at first I don't think um, but yeah going back to whether I think this kind of this flash forward thing work. I really think it did because I think 
because of how slow the show kind of was, which I kind of eat up, like if, if it's doing its thing and it's just a great character drama, then I'll, I'm on board no matter what. But I could totally understand why, like, the average person would not have sit through, like, at least the first three episodes. Because I do think once it gets to, like, episode four or so, it starts to pick up and, you you know, you're either enjoying it or you're not. But mm-hmm. the first two to three episodes can definitely seem a little trying if you don't know that it's heading somewhere. Um, at least somewhere stronger than it would first appear. So I was definitely a big fan of the way the season was structured. And because it's not like the first episode is the only episode to do something like that i mean we see flash forwards and we see flashbacks uh in every episode like this shows i would say relationship with memory is such a fractured and fragile thing that it only helps to like i would say reinforce some of the themes which is that like all these events that happen within the rayburn family are kind of they're not on a chronological timeline and like everybody has a completely warped sense of time and events and place and what actually happened and when that it totally for me like whether it be thematically narratively it it did definitely work yeah i i actually totally agree with you um i I will say that since there is for sure going to be a second season of uh, bloodline I hope they don't do the same kind of thing in season two. Yes, and I think I heard a creator say in an interview that they definitely weren't going to be leaning on that. Uh, he goes, it was our initial audience hook. That was the other thing that Damages kind of got wrong, is that it never let that up. Oh, okay. Um, but they said, like, point blank, it's just the way we wanted to tell this original story. But he goes, we're, eventually we're going to move past that. So I'm, I'm with you in the sense I hope we've already moved past it and yeah. there is no more. Despite the fact that I would actually be very on board for still flashbacks because I still think there's a lot more of their family history left unsaid. Obviously the most important chapter has been exposed, but uh, especially with you know Sam Shepard's character dying in episode 5 and what, I would love to see some more scenes with him and so if we could get flashbacks with him and with the younger Rayburn children, I would I would still eat that up at least. Yeah, my favorite uh, episode or my favorite moment, I guess, of the entire season actually happens in episode four, uh, at the very end when we see pretty much the the final meeting between uh, Robert, played by Sam Shepard, and Danny's character, as they really don't have any other moments together, just the two of them throughout the entire season, and they are uh, the two players in the family that I think are on opposite spectrums of people who either what side they're on and everyone else in the family is basically on Robert's side because he's the father. Danny is is still blamed by Robert and pretty much everybody else for Sarah's death, even though it really was not his fault, although it was probably a poor decision to go out on the water. Poor decision, but it's also, I mean, we have to, if we want to trace blame, because that's what this family likes to do, I yeah. mean, it was traced all the way back to the mother, who was the one that basically told him to go take her out, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's kind of like, you don't put a child, and this is what I think the entire family fails to see, other than Danny, because obviously it happened to him, and is that it doesn't matter whether he was literally responsible for, I mean, obviously if he, like... <laughs> literally murdered her or something like that. That would have been a different Choked her out or something like that. But it doesn't matter whether it was, you know, whether it happened when he was on the boat or John was even on the boat or something like that because they, the point is they were children and they were going through a very psychologically uh, traumatizing time. Yeah. So to put that responsibility and then later on that blame on that kind of seismic event just, is just, that's why I ended up hating probably the mother character almost the most because, Mm. 
I would say she's the one who's the most complicit in what happened that day, and yet also the most oblivious to her part in that. Because I think a lot of the characters, like John, like Kevin, okay, let's take him one by one almost. Like Kevin, he's the kind of person who literally in the present day, he talks like Danny murdered his sister, despite the fact that he was nowhere even close to that scene. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I almost like, even though he's an asshole, it's just kind of like he doesn't know any better because he's just a hot-headed idiot. (laughs) We see throughout the entire season that somebody like John is completely broken up about it, so he's a little more conflicted as to whether he did the right thing and helping him cover up and whatnot. And once again, Meg was kind of too young to really remember it. So it it all, for me, falls back on the mother character, which is why I think they kind of waited till about episode 9 or 10 to actually show that the official scenes of her um, deciding to leave Robert and uh, kicking what is it, Danny and Sarah out of, you know, her room and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, like, I think that's, she's honestly the worst. And that's what actually, now that I'm remembering it, that's essentially what uh, Danny says to her in episode 12, I think, when he finally has that, um, in my opinion, terrific scene in the kitchen when yes. he, he just says, I've never felt safe in this house. And I like how the mom looks all distraught, like, how could this be? And then he does turn it back on her, and he goes, and you're the worst one of them all, you know? So right. I, you know, I, like you're saying about picking sides or whatever, by the end of this season, I was fully on Danny's side without necessarily condoning, obviously, some of his behavior. Yeah. Well, and, too, the the mother figure, who seems to be a very sympathetic, uh, someone who's going for sympathy through the entire season, I feel like she almost ends up by the end of the season, in my view, being almost like Tony Soprano's mother, where she wants all of these things to happen around her, and she has more effect than I think she thinks she does by just saying, you figure it out, and you do this, and no, I always told you, you kids, like, she never... She never wants to own anything, but she wants to be the person who they heard it from, but she doesn't want to be the one who told the children to do such things. And what's funny is that, you know, that's that's the great thing about these kind of, it's going back to the flash forwards type thing, is that they really do kind of color your perception of these characters. And the more episodes you watch, the more your kind of opinion can shift on whether you kind of like a character or you Absolutely. don't. And so one of the things that I actually love was one of the earliest details was it seemed like the mother was the most compassionate out of the entire family because when Danny came home, she was the one that really wanted him to stay and she um she was the one that kind of like let him start running his part of the inn and all this stuff that like the father especially didn't want to happen and the um the children were more iffy on and so once we get to the end and we kind of realize danny's side on on this whole thing and where she kind of fell into this tragic incident then you realize that that was probably just her way of like alleviating her own guilt without actually just saying I'm sorry or without right. actually just addressing the real problem. So I just kind of love like even little moments like that have completely di- different connotations if you were to rewatch the entire series. They do, and I feel like the way that the audience can feel about Danny shifts episode to episode from episode yeah. one all the way up until episode 13 yep. because even after his death, your opinion of him changes. And I think... That, and I guess we'll go straight in, if if you don't mind, going straight into the very final scene of the uh, season when pretty much from the grave, Danny is having an effect on the family as (laughs) uh, his child that no one knows anything about shows up and we were led to believe that he will be probably living with John and his family, at least uh, for the start of the second season. And I, I think 
That is such a genius move, and uh, that gets to another thing I want to talk about with the series, which I'll bring up in a minute. But I think that was such a genius move because not only does John and the rest of the Rayburns probably they hate this. Like now they're just going to be reminded of Danny at every turn. And we do find out that John murders Danny, like cold blooded murders him in episode 12. But at the same time, I feel like Danny also had no interest in his child meeting the rest of the Rayburns. He never tells any of the other siblings about that. He has a son. Nope. He never even mentions apparently to his son that he has this family who lives there. And it's only after his death that, uh, his child, and I don't even know if we got his name in the series, uh, fi- finds out that this is where the rest of his father's family is, and he goes to seek them out. So it was a great decision for me, um, and definitely something that I'm really even more interested in now in watching the second season than I already was. I agree. I That is the whole lost child comes back into play type thing is one of the most, tro- I want to say... Um, you know, stereotypical, wrote, yeah, cliched yeah. soap opera twist that you could possibly do. Having said that, in this show's universe, that's actually the most thematically brilliant twist they probably could have did because here they are thinking that they had no, like, no choice but to like cover up Sarah's quote unquote murder because that's kind of what they think of it as, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I love is that. If we're going to lose, in my opinion, the greatest part of the show, which is Ben Mendelsohn's uh, portrayal of Danny Rayburn, then we need something else to uh, thematically tie into just how horrible this family is when it comes to like trying to bury their secrets and yet it's failing to do so. So mm-hmm. the idea that this child is now going to be there to remind them of the second time that they've done this <laughs> deed, you know, like that there truly is like there. It's like, um, you know, there's Sisyphus uh, rolling the boulder up the hill, and then the boulder falls back down, and then he has to keep rolling it back up. Like, they are stuck in this eternal time loop of these secrets will always haunt them, and this this lost son is just another proof of that. And I also want to say, <clears throat> as you were saying that how, like, Danny never mentioned this child or anything, there are some really great little moments, though, that if you rewatch, I think kind of do indicate that he he like you know he not only does he obviously know he has a child but there were certain lines like when somebody said you'd make a great father and he goes yeah i don't know about that and of course you just think he's being hard on himself but it now especially with ben Mendelssohn giving that performance you can kind of see that there's like a twinge of something else well and another point that i was going to bring up that is that he has this weird relationship with john's daughter jane um, where he always even though she is kind of like the well, as you're watching the the season, you probably think, oh, he's just treating her like, like Sarah almost or something like that. But she's around the same age. From the look, well, yeah, around the same age. <laughs> At least she looks like, to me, of his son. And maybe he just has a interesting relationship like in terms of like teaching her things, like teaching her yeah. how to cook or how to prepare a meal or little things like that. I think they played with that tension of what his intentions were mm-hmm. when it came to like the way he saw that, um, the way he saw the daughter character, because I think obviously it all depends on which side of the fence you were landing on, whether you thought he was truly like a villain, just like this family did, that you could think that his interactions with her had these like nefarious purposes and that very sinister overtones or undertones, whatever. And I kind of agree with you, what you just said. I don't know if you truly, like if you were saying that because you believe it or if you were just bringing that up, but like that I do think he did see a little bit of Sarah in in her and that's kind of what did gravitate because 
like he, you know, he doesn't obviously treat the the boy this way too. Not that he's like mean to him or anything like that, but there's a certain paternal kind of older brother, you know, that I feel like he was almost reliving that era before it was tragically uh, cut short with this uh, with John's daughter. Well, and even even that, and it's it's kind of shown in episode eleven to make you make the audience, I feel like, feel. Like Danny is truly a villain, yeah. but he even gives Jane, the daughter, the same necklace that Sarah had. Yes, which and is th- one of the biggest psychological fuck yous I've yes. ever seen on TV. But at the same time, if you're if you're thinking about him and having a relationship with Jane as he did with Sarah, that's almost on that level kind of makes sense, even though yeah. it was played towards the audience and it was ultimately a very psychological fuck you to John and trying to screw with him, which ultimately I think is what led to Danny's demise. But, oh yeah. yeah. And I think that's what makes Danny a very fascinating character because he does things like that. Like what he does in episode 11 by taking her out on the boat without telling John, um, to recreate the Sarah's kind of like death day, basically. Yeah. Um, when he does something like that, he absolutely is, using her, you know, to get at her, uh, her father and whatnot, which is a bad thing. I mean, that, that's an, Im, you know, an immoral act by a kind of like a, I would say that's a very bad thing to do, obviously, as a human being. Right. So it's not like he's like some kind of saint throughout all of this. No. But by the end of this season, I feel like it's his family that pushes him to these limits that uh, make him basically want to, like he says in the show, I think many times, like he, he goes, I just want them to know how it feels. And he literally gets his chance to do that. And it's why even at that his lowest point, which for me is when he takes her out on the boat because he knows what it's going to do to John. Mm-hmm. Um, like even at his lowest point, I still find him a sympathize, like sympathizable figure because he, I don't, I truly don't believe he would have gotten to this point had his family just accepted him as a family member and yeah. not as this outcast. Cause I think it was kind of like a, not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like, a, you know, they said he was the black sheep. So therefore he became the black sheep, but he never wanted to be that role. And that's, that's why I just kind of, I, I just really fell in love with that character and just kind of like how the others treated him and what that said about them and what that said about Danny. It was just, I thought it was fascinating. Well, and uh, what was I, I was going to mention a few minutes ago, uh, and I'm glad you actually brought up, you brought up the term soap opera when talking yeah. about the uh, reveal with uh, Danny's child at the end of this season. I thought in the first three episodes or so of this uh, series that it really felt structured almost like a soap opera. And I feel like it's interesting because I felt like that kind of went away as the season went on, but it it does come back at certain points. And I I wouldn't call this like a modern soap opera, but do do you think that this at all sort of toes the line of using some things from like a, a soap opera genre? And, I'm not not saying like the bad things about it, like because we oh, know yeah. that they have episodes every day and all these things are happening, but just like most soap, soap operas, there is a family, the one big name of the family, yeah. uh, and they uh, always are protect the family, and they have all these characters who are doing these outrageous things, yep. and I, I just feel like it 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 takes some from the soap opera genre. Absolutely. But it, not, not in a bad way. No, no. Like, some of its elements are, especially when you just watch the pilot alone. I mean, you have, I mean, it very reminds you of things like Dynasty or, you know, where you have this uh, just kind of upper, you have to have some kind of upper middle class or just upper class family because they have to have, obviously, a lot to lose, mm-hmm. whether financially or just uh, class-wise. And um, you have, 
a you have family members that have conflicting relationships with each other because obviously everybody kind of hates Danny and um, Kevin obviously has temper issues with almost everybody just because that's how he works and um, and you have a the whole patriarch and the matriarch and the other thing is that only the adults matter ultimately in this story which is kind of another soap opera like they don't focus on children too much mm-hmm. uh, they're just collateral damage in these kind of stories and um, and when you literally start your program like it Bloodline did with you know a very uh, big get together where it could be like very public and you know secrets are brewing and things could get out or whatever even if of course the audience doesn't know what those secrets are at that point or whatever like no it's definitely very indebted to like those kind of soap operas I feel like it goes from soap to pulp yeah because I think at first it starts off as this family drama and then the, the more you learn and the more of these characters change over the course of the the events of the season it it becomes a family thriller instead of a family drama but all organic and all completely natural because that's just what would have happened at least as far as like how they wrote it you know so I, I definitely think it's very indebted to a, a lot of soap opera cliches and, and that's also that's why it be the last twist with uh, the child works even better because like you said they kind of got away from that mm-hmm. all the way up until that moment and that's like like classic soap opera it you know just completely blindsides you as to like that you wouldn't think that that would have been possible because you thought you were just literally like the characters did, you thought they were, and you were out of the woods as the audience. But there's there's a whole other thing that you had you couldn't really have, have no idea uh, or no way of knowing. So I thought that was pretty great. You were talking about Danny as your favorite character, and obviously he's the most important character. I would say that the entire season of a Bloodline. And I feel like I, I mentioned a little bit of it, but my favorite moment of the entire series was him and Robert talking, um, having lunch and kind of going back and forth. And Robert basically finally like admitting to him, I want you to leave and never come back. So here's this money and go away. And Danny basically says, I'll do that, but I need more money. So yep. uh, it, it, just, it was just, I feel like a very honest part of both of their characters that you don't get in almost any part of the rest of the season. And it's one of those things where at first, because that's the last conversation they have, obviously, Danny. That's and, the last conversation, at least, that we see that Robert has with anybody. Yes, and so because Robert then dies at the beginning of episode five. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I love about that scene is that I genuinely think Danny would have left with mm-hmm. that money. Yeah, I do you too. know, like, you know, but then Robert dying, which is kind of another kind of soap opera because he already had his medical scares. So naturally you would have thought he would have died when he had his stroke or, you know, in episode two or whatever. So that's kind of another little foreshadowing that like this, this is kind of playing around with those soap opera twists. Um, but I genuinely think, uh, Danny would have left with that money when Robert gave it to him. Uh, but then when, uh, when Robert dies uh, the next morning, and what I what I love about that twist is that it's it's kind of pretty much perfect narratively because mm-hmm. like the only way Danny would have stuck around is if Robert died, and I think once he did die, I think Danny truly believed that this was it, like he could finally start anew with this what what was left of the family because it was and, and he was doing that for exactly. a few episodes. Yep, and it was the father that he thought was poisoning the well, and now I think it's all. It's up to the audience to determine for themselves whether the father did basically poison the well or whether those children were just kind of always that way, too, because he then finds out that even in the wake of his father, they're still not going to accept him as as their own and whatnot. And, and of course, that kind of we'll kind of see a repeat of that once we uh, 
now that Danny dies, because that's just literally another generation of Rayburn dying off, and they'll have to stick around with the kid in season two, you know, it'll it'll be kind of like a repeat of that, whether that kid will be accepted by this family, which they'll probably, he'll have to be out of guilt, because I can't imagine that. But they, you know, somebody like John won't be, uh, will be like, oh no, you, you gotta go. Well, and uh, another thing, uh, theme, because there are themes, uh, a few that I wrote down, uh, the first of which is forgiveness, which is a big big problem for the Rayburns. Um, and especially when, yes. when it comes to things that were necessarily happening the way that uh, each character imagined that they did. You mentioned Kevin and John having their own kind of thoughts of what happened with Danny. But the, it's such a big theme because ultimately when Danny finally goes off the rails is when the uh, old police inspector who worked their case and basically was fed all these lies uh, when the... Uh, Which he death. knew, too. Well, and he knew, but he, he always had the tapes and whatever. Um, Danny didn't know anything of what the other siblings had said about it or that they had lied about it. Or even if he did know, he didn't hear them saying it. Right. So or he, he just didn't want to believe it because he didn't have proof of it, of course. But he's given proof, and I, I feel like that's an interesting... Um, not necessarily even a twist, but an interesting part when that police inspector, I don't, I don't remember his name, yeah. when he, he gives him, he's thinking he's giving him this closure when literally he's opening up all these new wounds yes. that are going to make everything so much worse. Yes, he, like, he had not seen any of the Rayburns for years, including Danny, especially mm-hmm. Danny probably. So yeah, so he definitely didn't realize what he was doing, but that was one of the worst things, if not the worst thing he could literally have done. Yeah. Um. So I agree with you because yeah, that was just not good and that was literally the catalyst as to i think when danny started planning his revenge because especially when you have when you know because they kind of they play those tapes almost every episode once he gets the tapes which i thought was an interesting device and it never got old for me Mm -hmm. um and so when they keep playing those tapes and you're kind of contextualizing what they're saying on the tape versus what they're saying present day i thought that was a very very wonderful display of like cognitive dissonance as far as like they're saying one thing on you know to Danny and yet they're also saying another thing on the tape and I think that's what started to drive Danny crazy which is that they just don't talk to him like a human being like they just don't tell him what they genuinely believe because they just don't want to quote-unquote upset him but all that's doing is upsetting him and so like he thinks that they can't ever be themselves around him and they can only do that um, without him or whatever so I, I just thought that was like a very Interesting display of like alienation and whatnot. Agreed. Uh, an- another theme that goes throughout this show um, is uh, water is involved with almost uh, almost every death yep. that happens, uh, whether it be Sarah's death where she she drowns. Ultimately, Robert dies of another stroke, but he does that because he was out uh, kayaking. kayaking. Yep. And the first time when he goes into the hospital for his first stroke. He would have drowned if Danny wouldn't have saved him. Which we, which I, I, oh, man. I feel like that's funny because yes. almost every other character doesn't believe him that he saved right. him. But as an audience, we know that he did. And we know that he did, although we don't truly know until the end of that episode because that was remember yeah. they don't show you that. But what's great about that idea that that he would go and save him is that their refusal to believe that he saved them actually has nothing to do, at least I don't think, to do with like the whole hostile relationship between Danny and Robert. I think that, once again, that goes rooted back into, well, you let Sarah die, so obviously you would have let you know, your right. dad die because you hate him or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's another great detail that at first just seems like a classic 
oh, did he murder his own father because of just, you know, the animosity between the two. But now that you've seen the entire thing and you kind of know how Sarah died, and that was only episode two, and we, I don't even think you knew that there was another sibling at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I just love how that included everything comes back to the death of Sarah, and, like, that's what fuels these characters' like reactions and motivations. Well, and that's also a part, although I feel like the, uh, the murder of Danny by John is more of a, a yes. passionate thing. Yes. But he 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 literally drowns him in yes. almost like a foot of water. Yes, uh, and it was uh, definitely a brilliant decision by in terms of how it played out and how that actually happened. And especially, like I was mentioning uh, that Kevin had given him the gun. That you never really know how his actual death happens, and then when it's finally revealed, it's uh, it's paid off pretty pretty. All- and also with John, who is probably the most calm of all and he's always giving these decisions we see him almost having like a bruce banner hulk moment (laughs) where he goes absolutely crazy and starts screaming at danny and ends up drowning him in the the water and if you want to get into like thematic resonance i mean that throughout the whole series one of john's biggest conflicts it was kind of wrestling with himself on whether because danny liked to point out and i think he's right when he does like it could have just as easily been you on that boat you know and of course danny is a very like one of his biggest flaws is that he is kind of uh he has a superiority complex because because of all how the Rayburns look up to him, he kind of looks up to himself, too, because mm-hmm. he thinks that he is, quote-unquote, better than Danny and whatnot. Literally, Jane, his daughter, points that out to Danny when she says, he thinks he's so much better than you, but he's not. You know, like Even his own daughter kind of sees through some of his bullshit. Yeah. So when he goes throughout this entire series saying, like, oh, I would never have done that, you know, I never would ever, and then yet... Of course, that's how he literally murders his own brother uh, with his bare hand. Like, I think that was just a great shift in finally the character letting that out and, like, being able to, like, to not even stop his own kind of bullshit and his egotistical side kind of got in the way of that. Um, But at that point, I could also understand that, but I would do the same, but, like, he was being pushed to the very, you know, limit. Well, and I I think... We're kind of in. I think we're both on the team of of Danny being almost a sympathetic figure. He definitely was not a saint throughout this series. No, no. If you watch this series, you know that he was involved with drug deals. Yeah. Uh, he was involved with. Uh, he he got the Rayburn House involved with the drug deal, which ultimately is what leads to his his death. Probably, uh, he is involved in moving the gasoline that kills all of the uh, immigrants who are trying to come over. Who. Uh, the main villain in the whole, I can't remember his name, but he, he only, he's only in like eight minutes of the entire season. Uh, But, you know, Danny is not a perfect person, but at the end of the day, he's also not a horrible person as the rest of the Rayburns have made up their mind about him to be. Exactly. And I feel like even his worst qualities are because of the Rayburns. Whereas Mm -hmm. like John's worst qualities are his own undoing. I mean, while Danny did some things to John, excuse me, like, um, you know, took Jane out of the boat or whatever, like, all that comes back to how poorly the Rayburns treated him, whereas I, I I still trace back most of Danny's qualities. I mean, he's got some social awkwardness, and he's got some, like, like I love that scene in the very, the, the pilot, when he's talking to John's wife, uh, Diana, mm-hmm. and he's describing that very weird uh, sexual encounter with yeah. one of his, like, ex-girlfriends, and it is so out of place and so awkward to just sit through. And it's, like, little things like that, which he kind of comes off unhinged and just unaware of his place in any kind of social context because that's just not appropriate to, <laughs> story to tell. So a little thing like that where like I can understand why like this family would have a hard time dealing with him because he is somewhat 
messed up psychologically. But once again, that I'm sure he wasn't always that way. And um, no matter what, it all comes back to that there were no adults present on the day that children should not have been left to be children. Well, and the only time where we see an adult present with the whole Sarah incident yes. is when Robert comes back and yes. basically r- almost rips off Danny's arm, and then every all the that's where all the and stems from. Beats the shit out of him. Too. Yeah, and that all, all the kids lied about it to the yep. police inspector, and even the father yep. lied about it. Yep. Um, what uh, another thing that I thought was interesting about this entire season uh, of television was that the, the characters in the family, which I'm guessing we're going to see again next season, um, at least the two of them I thought were really interesting, which was John and Meg. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, Kevin's character seemed to be kind of a... Not, not a lot of depth happening there with He's his character. the most superficial character. Yeah. And even in relation to the event, I mean, even like... Um, he had no like he uh, he helped cover it up obviously, but he wasn't even there like on that day or anything. So like he does the more of a season goes on, the more tangential he starts to feel to the overall plot. Having said that, I do like what he that character or not character that actor Norbert uh, <laughs> uh, brought to the role. Not because I think it was one of the best performances of the show or anything like that, but I don't know. There was this kind of like volatile, uh, you know his hot-headedness was kind of an interesting thing to keep things, I would say, at least, uh, I don't know, spicy or whatever, like, from scene to scene, because, like, there were some great scenes, I thought, where, like, he would blow up or whatever, and it was kind of like he... It was fun to see him basically be Robert Jr., because that's who... That's It's funny, because some people, I think, like, John would be quick to point out that, like, Danny is most like the father, even mm-hmm. though that's complete bullshit, and he's actually a much kinder person than his own father. But it's it's Kevin who got all of his father's genes, whether it be the crazy temper or the alcoholism and stuff like that. So I do think his character is, like, integral to the plot. I just hope that they kind of expand on that more, especially the parallels between, I think, Robert and uh, Kevin. Well, and it's also interesting, too, that another theme throughout the season was infidelity with uh, the characters... <laughs> Uh, we see Meg and the, Danny kind of gets these infidelities to hold against the other uh, characters, whether it be Meg with the uh, gentleman from the New York company that she's having yep. a somewhat affair with. Uh, Kevin is is away from his wife, but he has a very, very much a bizarre encounter with Chloe, Chloe Sevigny's character, Chelsea which uh, is Danny's girlfriend for the most part, and he yep. has a se- has sex with her one night. And then he even tries to get yes. uh, tries to get John to have sex with somebody else so he can hold that over his head. Yep. And, and it's, it's, it seems like a very interesting like plotting that Danny is doing throughout the entire season. It, it almost makes him out... You, I know he's not like a villain for sure. No, like, he's very but, Machiavellian where like he has these like grand schemes to solve uh like intimate problems basically yeah. so no i it I, I know what you mean uh but that scene when they're at the bar and besides even when you just take away that whole infidelity thing like just mm. those them interacting to see kyle chandler drunk was just fantastic i i, I was eating that up because here and i'll go back to um some of the actors that play like these children, you have Kyle Chandler, like even just putting Ben Mendelsohn aside, who's, if I haven't said it on this podcast uh, before is my favorite current working actor right now. And this Mm -hmm. show solidified that because he hasn't been in too much before this. Yeah. uh, But this show definitely is like, yep, I stick by that for now. Um, But to have somebody like Kyle Chandler and um, who was in 
Friday Night Lights as the main character in that yeah, show. He's, a, he's also become a, a very interesting character actor in movies with uh, Zero Dark Thirty and The Wolf of Wall Street lately. That's right. And to have uh, Linda Cardellini, who was uh, the main kind of protagonist in the uh, 1999 show Freaks and Geeks, um, which are Friday Night Lights and Freaks and Geeks are two of the greatest TV shows ever created. Um, so just to have those two in one show together, like, which is kind of a treat. And um, going back to Meg's character, I think she was... I I feel like even if Kevin was less deeper, like less shallow, by the end of the season, I was less, I was the least interested in Meg's storyline. Okay, and I think that's because, especially by the end of it, because I'm curious. Like that's the only question that I kind of want resolved when we get into season two, which I I know they will because there's literally no way around it. But I'm curious as to why they moved her out of Florida. Like, are they just going to? very, you know, uh, cheaply move her right back to Florida? Or are they going to really drop in on, like, how is that going to work? And I just thought that was kind of a a silly move to do that. But we'll see if they pay that off somehow. I don't know if you thought, like, I'm curious to know what you think about, like, just where they left, like, all the characters by the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think John's is the most, like, they solidified what yeah. his character will be in the second season is we're led to believe that he will be having Danny's child live with him, probably. And he was just elected as the the mayor? or No, the sheriff, I mean. I think he was the sheriff. The sheriff, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of great, because it puts him in a position of even more power, which, mm-hmm. of course, raises the stakes for what he has to lose. Yes. And when he's given that speech to them, which you then find out was the voiceover that you had been listening to the whole time, which is also then... And, of course, you can figure this out before you get to that point, but that completely exemplify just how much bullshit he talks because <laughs> half the thing that he was saying in those voiceovers and then when you, when you see those action on the actual screen are not how it happened or right. at least you know like uh, philosophically and whatnot so when you when you have him trying to sell all those other politicians on like all this bad shit that his family did without of course saying any of the real stuff I thought that <laughs> was great and I hope that's part of season two is like how that'll come back to haunt his like you know career and whatnot well and and kevin too i believe he acquires the other part of the boat yard (laughs) at the end of the first season and he's back with his wife who is now pregnant that Um, was one of those moments where i was like okay like even more so than the child that was another kind of like that's the most classic way to get a couple back together on tv when mm -hmm. when when you have to it's just say oh they were she got pregnant so therefore she's back however we don't really know if that is indeed his child for sure right no and i'm not saying we do we're, we're kind of led to believe that is true but she does go go on a date with somebody which kevin intrudes on rather rudely uh, but he's, it, he's got some problems. I mean, that uh, could be something that could come up yeah. that it doesn't end up being his kid later on. But yeah, it's it, all of the Rayburns at, at the end, the last episode, have made an improvement in their professional lives, whether it be yeah. John becoming the sheriff, uh, Kevin finally getting what his way and getting boat the boatyard, and then Meg taking the, the new job in yep. New York. And maybe that was really kind of a, a plot device to show them all benefiting from Danny's yeah, like death. They're, they're ascending literally to a higher level. And, uh, and, and not after even... they're all so complicit because those are the three of the people that know about what happened to Danny. Mm-hmm. And those are the three people that make it possible because they all have their little part in the plan uh, after John actually kills him. You know? yeah. um, the only other thing I wanted to mention about the whole ending um, is that 
one thing I'm actually not a fan of, and I I hope it's not too much of a focus in season two, but I did not like where they left the uh, the Sally Rayburn character because yeah. the the idea of her going back to the detective friend who was the guy who gave the tapes to um, uh, to Danny mm-hmm. um, and to basically hiring him as a PI to figure out what their what her children are keeping from her. Like I hope that's the kind of cliched stuff I don't want this show to really dive into, which is this whole like tension between whether this private eye will figure out that they killed Danny. Because I'd rather it just happen organically and just like like just how this like I just secrets will just come out because that's how dysfunctional this family is. They don't need a private eye. Well and we'll we'll be interested I'll be interested to see what happens with his character. I, I'm I'm not too crazy about that possible storyline also. But it's interesting now that John is the sheriff of the county, I think, and I, I don't know how much information this PI will be able to get with John being this sort of overpowering character now in the area. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I feel like there was definitely a lot of good setup for the second season. And I also uh, was going to mention that I feel like this would have worked totally fine just being a one-season show at the same time, too. It, it almost played out, and it's funny because each uh, episode is only called Part 1, Part yep. 2, but it almost plays out like a book. Yep. Like, I feel like a lot of the revealing events happen from chapter to chapter as they would in a book. It's very novelistic. Yeah. Um, and especially like only until like the last 10 minutes is it even clear that this has a season two end game, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not until the last 10 minutes that we get the scene with the PI and the scene with the, the lost son. And I'm, I'm right there with you that I almost wish this was a one season thing. And part of that, of course, comes from my selfishness of just, I don't, I don't know if I'm wanting to watch a show without Ben Mendelsohn's character anymore because he was the best part of it, and I'm trying to figure out kind of how the show is going to fully recover from that. Uh, but I'm definitely, I'll say this much, because of how good season one is, I'm definitely going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and uh, that, that that was another thing I was going to ask you. You asked about the characters. Um, where do you ultimately see this series going? Uh, do you think it's going to become more about John being conflicted with uh, things that have happened, whether it be with his father or with Danny. Um, you know, how do you see the rest of the series playing out, however many seasons it will be? Well, for one thing, it's on Netflix, so unfortunately, I do think they're going to try to run it to the ground because <laughs> we're already on season. Like, they're the kind of like uh, Netflix themselves are the company that renews it, like, before the new seasons even start now, like, mm-hmm. like HBO style. And, um, so I'm hoping, if, if I had, like, a dream scenario for this show, I would hope that it would only go to about three seasons at the most, because I don't think it has enough story to go past that. I don't even know if it has enough story to go past two, but we'll probably get at least one more after that. But um, I'm hoping that it's a very short, self-contained story where, like, if this is the... If this the first season was, you know, living with Danny, if the second season is going to be living with Danny's child, I'm hoping that the third season then wraps, like, I'm not saying that the child obviously going to die or anything like that, but we'll move past that and then we'll just do one more season of, like, exploring whatever final, I don't know, uh, truth or secrets that need to be laid bare for this family. Maybe, like, the, I would hope that, like, like the mother would die or something like that toward the end of the the series. And then that would be the end of the Rayburn legacy as far as like the children have no more reason to speak to each other because by the time they get to that point, what they have done to Danny will kind of unravel the very fabric of their family. And once they don't have a matriarch anymore, uh, there'd be no reason for them to left to like run this in or to kind of stay together. So 
I'm hoping just to see more, you know, kind of peeling apart this, the layers of this family and just seeing how this is going to ripple and wrinkle in time and how this is just going to kind of fracture apart. Uh, I don't know if I have any more specific... I have guesses of what would happen. Like, I'm sure John will somehow be investigated once somebody gets clues in, and maybe it'll be Marco, you know, like his yeah. own partner uh, or his ex-partner, because I don't know if he's still his partner now, but he's a sheriff. But, mm-hmm. you know, and that could be interesting or whatever. But for me, this is still a family drama at the heart of it, so I'm hoping that's what will take center, center stage each season. Yeah, I think there could be definitely interesting parts uh, now with Danny's son coming back. Uh, and with uh, John, I-, I feel like there's a chance that him and uh, Danny's child could have like a awkwardly good relationship for yeah. the most part because I feel like he may feel responsible. Obviously, he is responsible for Danny's death, yeah. but feel almost responsible for his child even more than he already would have. Um I don't want to say it's like a prediction, but I feel like if something that, that could happen, I've, I've always thought that um, John drowning in the final episode of the series would be, but I, I, I've, I've kind of thought more about it and I, I still think that should happen, but I think what would be the absolute best is if him and Danny's son were out on the boat, out on a boat and he drowns. <laughs> he yeah. And he drowns and Danny's son like tries to save him. And th- that's the end of the series is him driving the boat back with, dead john in the back of it and now it's the same thing happening again but it's just you know so uh, you know that would be kind of cheesy i guess i would say that might be a little ham-fisted as far as like (laughs) it it strikes again (laughs) Um, i don't know but but i do think you're onto something like symbolically because water is such such a big factor it's like I, i could see something like the last image or something like that is John submerging into an ocean. Doesn't mean he's dying or anything like that, but like he'll never get his head above water. You know, yeah. just some kind of classical image like that. So, um, any other things you want to uh, add before uh, we uh, bring in, bring to an end this uh, discussion of uh, the first season of Bloodline? Not really. I mean, it, just in general, it you know, it kind of blindsided me. I really fell in love with this series, especially after I read quite a few lukewarm reviews. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't read a lot of or any really negative reviews, but I definitely, I think I'm in the minority as far as I absolutely love this show. Um, it's kind of doing a lot of things that I personally love, whether it just be slow talking moments. I mean, there's this one scene in the pilot where the four Rayburn children, this is before we really know them either, um, are having a five minute argument about where Danny will sit and whether he can sit with his girlfriend at this family. He's not, not who they don't know, but we know she's not even like his girlfriend. He's right. just some floozy he met at the bar. Yes, and when you just that watching that scene and seeing these four actors just completely spar uh, just over who will sit where, I just like that's when I knew I was going to really like this show because I would even just entertained by just that alone. And I really quickly have to mention, because yeah. you just mentioned uh, his quote-unquote girlfriend who's just a floozy. Um, I love that line that he, <laughs> when he goes up to his father and he's like, I think she's the one, Dad. <laughs> and you just see his, the look in Robert's eyes. Like, like I don't know. I'm, I'm always on Team Danny, but that's just great smartass right there. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I... I absolutely love this show. Uh, ben Mendelsohn, I thought, gave one of the best TV performances of the year and probably one of my favorite TV characters ever now because I just, that's how much I love that character, at least. 
Um, it's just a great cast, and I just thought terrifically plotted. Some people might find it a little slow, but I thought it was pretty much perfect as far as what it needed to do when it needed to do it. And uh, I, I, I'm very excited for season two. And um, since we do star ratings for movies, why don't we give a like letter grade for yeah. if we do TV shows? And yeah. why don't you give this season a, a letter grade then? If I give this season a letter grade, I'm going to have to give it an A because yeah. I. It, and that doesn't mean that I thought every episode was just as good as the others. I mean, there are episodes that I was like, you know, like okay, this is my least favorite episode of this whatever. And I would probably give individual episodes like B plus or A minus or whatever. But what this show did for 13 episodes straight was basically had me on the edge of my seat because of familial conflict, and that's the kind of thing I eat up. So overall, I thought it, uh, for a show that sets up something big, because it says, like, this family's going to murder Danny, you know, by the end of this, whatever, the fact that it actually lived up to what it was uh, projecting just from the very first episode alone, I uh, I thought it was fantastic, and I, I give it an A. Very good. Uh, I'm going to give this uh, season an A-. Uh, I, I really did enjoy almost every part of this season. There were some parts uh, of the season that, not that I felt they were slow, but I thought the series got a little repetitive when it got to parts during the season, so I, I couldn't say it was a perfect yeah. season of television. But at the same time, I enjoyed so much of this, and, I, and I'm really not that big of a, a TV viewer. Um, this is the first time I've viewed an entire season of a show that was um, based on Netflix. So uh, having the opportunity to watch all of the episodes in a two-week span with my wife yep. was uh, definitely different. And also, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where I'm not sure if I like it or not yet. Um, I, I, I like the opportunity to watch all the episodes, but there, there definitely is something to having to anticipate an episode for a week. I agree with you, but if I can add something, yeah. um, I think this is actually the perfect show for the Netflix model. And the reason is, is that this is a show that I think would fail week to week because of how slow it is. And I don't think it's a show that obviously you need to watch like seven episodes in a row like <sighs> in one sitting or something like that. But I, we, when I watched this with my family, we were watching two every time basically mm-hmm. because it was just enough to get re, you know, submerged back into this universe. But yet also it wasn't short enough because if you just watch one, then you might feel a little unsatisfied because it yeah. is slow. So I, I think this is the perfect cause that way you can go at your own pace, but you're not waiting week to week because I do think you genuinely would not just forget some details, but also just kind of, it's just certain things would not uh, affect you quite as much if you uh, couldn't just kind of turn the next one on because it's just, it, it is kind of slow. So I, more so than Orange is the New Black, more so than House of Cards, I thought this was actually the first show, besides the rest of development season four, which did something very unique with the Netflix format. I thought this was the first show to actually benefit from the play next button. Yeah, and and I I did like that opportunity, and I feel like it's almost like a a kid on Christmas or a kid before Christmas finding his presents early, and like it sounds great in theory, like to be able to watch them at any time you want, but at the same time, I maybe it's just I'm used to the television model. I'm, I'm I kind of do like that you have to wait for the next episode in anticipation, especially for when major events are going to happen. It's always nice to be waiting. Like I feel like. If I saw the second to last episode of Boardwalk Empire, which is my favorite episode of the entire series, and then I was able to watch the next episode 
right after, I probably wouldn't have liked the finale as much as I did. Yeah. Not having to wait a week to see it. So Which makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really did enjoy uh, the season. I, I really liked the characters. Something I'm, I'm a little concerned about for the second season is that my two favorite characters are now both dead. Yeah. So... But I, I and I mentioned this to you before when we had both finished watching uh, the first season that uh, even though Ben Mendelsohn and uh, Sam Shepard probably won't be on the series very much if at all through the rest of its run, I would love to have one episode where there's like a random time when they like met up a few years before and we just get like that flashback of their relationship. Not even that it would have huge context to the current story that they're telling. You're talking about a flashback of Robert and Danny. Yes. But they were still alive together. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and it it would give probably more context to maybe his son. Like maybe he reveals to Robert that he does have a son and he's the only one who ever knew or something like that. That could be interesting. So, you know, I'd like to see those characters again because I like them so much time. Yeah. And especially with Robert, we didn't have much time with him at all through right. the entire... Which, Maybe Sam Shepard only wanted to be involved with the series if he was only going to be on it for a few episodes or something like that. And I will say, I do think, for me personally, as much as I love Sam Shepard and I like that character, I think his character works best as a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like, when he's not even there, and yet they're still fighting over his approval and such like that. Whereas I think Mendelssohn could be the true linchpin on whether they can actually recover from his loss. Yeah. Well, and and I I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, I I liked his performance so much that I I would like to see more if possible. And I, um, even if he doesn't arrive at any point throughout the series, I think it would be fitting if we have a flashback with Ben Mendelsohn's character or even as he had hallucinations throughout the Mm -hmm. uh, first uh, season of Sarah in like, if she was an adult, it was very, and then he had that amazing hallucination scene of him and John having Yep. Like their discussion as it would go if it were in Danny's world of yep. what J- John is. Um, I'd like to see Ben Mendelsohn again at some point in this series just because I think it would bring so much to the viewer. And the thing is, like, for me, like, these hallucinations, Danny was really the only person to have them because yep. he was the one who was always drugged out. However, the other ones did see. Uh, their flashbacks get intertwined with mm-hmm. the present day world. Like you literally see, like John watch his younger self give the interview that uh, that he had to give and whatnot. So if we could see at least something like that, as especially as their um, uh, their minds are probably going to start to go now that they're going to be living with all this guilt, I think that could be great. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the way I felt about the series. I think we're both very high on it and looking forward to uh, season two, which. I'm guessing we'll get some time in March or April next year. I would hope so. So uh, I guess the last thing that uh, we'll mention about uh, Bloodline is that we did get a question about it uh, almost a month ago or over a month ago by somebody who sent in an email. Uh, his name is Alex. So thank you, Alex, for sending in the email. Did you send in an email, Alex? I, I did not. It didn't come from me. so it was. I would, a, I would trust that you would use a different name if you did. That, that would make sense because that would almost seem like cheating a little bit if I... Uh, if I had sent an email, but actually somebody else sent an email in. So it says, hello there, film tank. I really appreciate uh, talking about bloodline. They've been watching the series and they've thought it was quite brilliant uh, with regards to Netflix. Would you agree that is providing an alternative platform where shows are finally allowed to blur the lines between genres again? So often now on network television, it seems that dramas, sitcoms, soaps, sci-fis, and procedurals can only ever be just those. 
there isn't any room for gray area in between. Any thoughts on this from Alex? So thank you again, Alex. And uh, Nick, since you're the uh, resident TV viewer here, uh, I guess I'll let you uh, answer that question first and sort of your opinion on uh, what he was talking about. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that, actually. Because okay. um, that is definitely a current trend that I'm getting pissed off about. Um, if you just turn on any network TV, like... Okay, you have shows like The Big Bang Theory and, you know, all those Chuck Lorre sitcoms and whatever. And, like, these are multi-camera sitcoms, which, for those who don't know what that means, it means that literally there are multiple cameras to shoot the action because it's live and they Mm -hmm. have to cut from one to another. Whereas a single-camera sitcom is a show that you only need one camera because you can turn the camera off and go and film a scene because there's no audience and you can cut up the scenes and whatnot. So you have... Uh, these shows like The Big Bang Theory and these other Chuck Lorre uh, sitcoms that are just like uh, the listener uh, email was saying are just this one thing which is just a vehicle to make you laugh and if you look at back when sitcoms really started to gain prominence especially in the golden era of sitcoms which is in the 1970s when we had shows like Mary Tyler Moore, All the Family, MASH, uh, Taxi, you know Barney Miller, we had all these some of the, if not the greatest sitcoms of all time. All well, in one. And, and if you look at a show like All in the Family, I remember an episode where the daughter loses a baby. Like yes. it becomes a like all 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 out drama for yes. that one episode. These used to be like vehicles for drama or comedy. Like, and that's the thing is that especially you know you brought up All in the Family, uh, like that's a Norman Lear sitcom, and that was kind of what he was famous for. He always brought these kind of political edge to his shows where. He wanted to basically tackle a new issue every week and whatnot. And I'm a big fan of that. I kind of understand. I feel like the reason why it was so popular in the 70s, because that's when we as a culture started having these very uh, broad conversations in our own living rooms and whatnot. And so I think after like the 70s and such, we um, with no like things like Vietnam or Nixon, you know, like we had less to, I would say, rebel against. And, you know, um, we didn't have to. I don't know what I was going to say there, but <laughs> um, but we start we stopped having these conversations, I think, because we now started to get even more divided as to who's a Democrat, who's a Republican, and now it's like we literally say it's not polite to talk politics with our friends or you know whatever, mm-hmm. just like it's not polite to talk religion. And I kind of get that too because you know <laughs> that that always opens up a can of worms and whatnot. Right. But I think that's why it has kind of left our TV shows and our media because we don't want to think about those kind of things and. So I'm I'm completely with you know this notion that I I kind of want to go back to the days where like sitcoms used to feel like one act plays and of course I'm I'm talking about sitcoms a lot when there are so many other types of shows as well like like Mad Men for example that's a very serious drama on AMC and yet yeah. it's also one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. I was gonna say another show that seems to do a, a decent job uh, and it was you talk about like being a one act show. Um, the show House did a great job of being drama at times, exactly. where thriller at times, comedy at times. It w- it definitely had a lot of mixes for what it was delivering. Where, as he was mentioning, there are a lot of shows today uh, that that don't really seem to do that. No, and so that's why I think it's kind of like these shows have no more place on network TV anymore. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an unfortunate thing for me, at least. So what what would be a couple shows that you could mention other than like the Big Bang Theory that are 
are having a hard time doing more than just the genre that they are in. Um, I mean, the sad thing is I probably am not watching them, so okay. that's why it would be hard for me to pick them off like the top of my head. However, there, I mean, there's shows like, okay, for example, like there's Revenge on uh, ABC, which is kind of a soapy uh, procedural. Okay, mm-hmm. I watched the first, I want to say half of season one and I enjoyed it for what it was but then I kind of jumped ship because it just wasn't really what I wanted to watch but there's a show that's like very soapy or whatever and it could have a lot more fun with this material if it just kind of was in on the on its own camp but it's refusal to do that just kind of made it a little tiresome to watch because yeah. everybody was taking it so seriously and whatnot. So, like, there's an example of a show that could have lightened up a little bit. I mean, they could have the same plot, they could have the same everything, but if you just had these characters kind of Willfully acknowledging the absurdity of the situation, I think it would have been even a, it would have benefited from that. So that's an example. Uh, there's plenty of other examples, but I'm probably going to blank on them. That's fine. But I think it's, the thing is, you're starting to see these quote unquote dramedies move to uh, what I want to say cable because now you have shows like uh, uh, I know you're not a fan of it, but like Girls on HBO, oh, okay. that is a show that literally dives into drama one moment and then into comedy another and that's the kind of show that just would not be able to exist on network television i don't simply mean of course because of the content of the show but because we uh networks like to prepackage things like they don't like to have to cut a promo and go well wait how do we sell this you know so you have shows like that you had a show on hbo actually um like a couple years ago which was terrific called enlightened which was one of the funniest shows I've ever seen, and yet also like almost made me cry in another episode because of just how poignant it could be when it wanted. It, it started uh, Laura Dern, and it only lasted two seasons because all of you terrible people didn't watch it, and it got canceled. Uh, but you know, you have shows like that where we get in these like fantastic half-hour, you know, quote-unquote dramedies that just would not be able to exist anywhere else. So, do I think Netflix itself is going to be a place for this to kind of crop up? <laughs> I I want to say yes and no, because right now I don't think so because of the fact that I don't think Netflix is latching on to this uh, trend. Um, the only thing that comes close to what they're doing is uh, Orange is the New Black. That is an hour-long drama. However, if you've noticed anything, it's been submitted as a comedy as, hmm. at the um, at the Golden Globes and the, or the Emmys, I think. Yeah. And that's because... They kind of knew that they weren't going to win in the drama because they're not the most dramatic show ever. Yeah, they're not so, Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Or right. Like so that. it's kind of like they, they started to like hedge their bets by saying, oh, well, we're a comedy, which is also technically true because it could be a very funny show. And, and of course, that gets a no whole debate on like how the Emmys are kind of screwed up as far as like how they categorize things. But that's like the only show on Netflix right now that's truly, I would say, divining their line because Bloodline's really a drama at the end mm-hmm. of the day. I mean, there were like one or two funny parts but it's really not and House of Cards it's a political thriller and uh, Arrested Development is a straight up comedy so or just the new black it's kind of their biggest breakout hit and yet that's also the one that I think that they're having the trouble the most trouble replicating because all their other shows that I've looked at their roster for what they have coming up and they have a show from the Wachowskis coming up uh, yeah which actually looks pretty good but that's going to be from what I can tell like a straight sci-fi show and some other stuff so my ultimate answer is that no, I don't think Netflix will be the thing that kind of, uh, if like basically I'll say this, and I kind of alluded to it earlier. If there's going to be anything that will kind of bring us back to this more balanced and more gray area of like how to categorize a show, it, it's got to start with our award show. You know, it's got to start with the Emmys because until they start to acknowledge that shows aren't black and white and they aren't 
comedies or dramas, and that's the only thing they can be, then you're not going to have networks trying to push for shows that could fit into these categories. So I feel like that's actually where it has to start, and I hope, and I think we are starting to see that a little bit, because we, not so much that the Emmys are... (laughs) changing but we're starting to see people hedge like like we said hedge their bets like orange the new black submitting as a comedy or even the show on showtime uh, shameless they submitted that as a comedy as well despite the fact that it's one of the most like darkest dramas probably on cable but it's also very funny too so it's not it's not like they're lying but once maybe the emmys kind of kind of get privy to what's happening with that those kind of submissions then they might start getting fed up with that kind of stuff and hopefully that's when they can start saying like you know like at least breaking it down to the point where we say like thirty-minute dramas, thirty-minute comedies, our dramas, our you know comedies, because yeah. there is such a big difference between those kind of things. And I, for me, that's where it all has to kind of start. Then, because otherwise, nobody's going to want to. Uh, like I said, the networks are not going to want to back anything that can't be easily uh, categorized. Very good. Well, you heard it from Nick Cheney, and if uh, there's anyone on this uh, on this show frequently that could give you a, a good as answer as that, it's always going to be Nick. So. Uh, Thank you very much, Alex. Oh, you are welcome, sir. <laughs> uh, if you do have any other questions about uh, anything or any other comments, feel free to email them to uh, filmtankshow at gmail.com. Uh, we love to answer uh, listener questions, and we went pretty in detail, I think, with that one. So uh, we'd love to get your email. Uh, and also, uh, just uh, send that on to filmtankshow at gmail.com, as I mentioned. You can find Nick on Twitter at Nick J. Cheney. I'm on Twitter at Alex underscore Diekman. And you can find us at filmtankshow at gmail.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher. And also you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So uh, Nick Cheney was here today along with me, Alex Diekman. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch up with you next time.